0: Good morning to all of you. My name is Raymond and I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to the Sunday morning gathering of Redemption Hill. If you would, open your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 6. We're going to continue this series, The Drama of Redemption. We're going to look today at the rest of Solomon's reign. We're going to focus a little bit on, on the temple here. And, and if you know the story of Solomon, you know that it didn't end well for him. You know, not everything that starts well ends well. I, I told the first service, I was, I was remembering that race, the 110-meter hurdle race that Lolo Jones ran in the 2008 Olympics, and what a great start. And, of course, you know the conclusion, just didn't quite make it over that last hurdle. Solomon's, Solomon's a lot like that. He started out great, but, but he allowed himself to... I guess get distracted and fall into a great deal of spiritual decline, and uh, if, if we're not careful, the same thing can happen to all of us, you know, and so we're going to hopefully get some help this morning as we read together, so I'm going to pray and then we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 1, and then I'm just going to read portions of that and, and go into a part of chapter 8, alright, so let me pray real quick and then we'll begin. Lord, we just pray that as we speak now, your word will do its work. Uh, quite simply that your spirit would take what you've already said in the Bible and that you would help me at this moment to, to explain it for us and to try to do my best to, to make some connections that will help us to see that this is not just, you know, a book about a set of events that took place 3,000 or 2,000 years ago, but, but that the relevance for us, it may as well be that it just happened yesterday, that it's, it's for us today as well. And we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, 1 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, the house that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. And after giving some other details about this temple, we go down to verse 11 and it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you're building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Skip down, if you would, to verse 37. So in the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. And in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all of its parts and according to all its specifications. He was seven years in building it. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now Solomon was building his own house. 13 years, and he finished his entire house. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, and its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits, and it was built on four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams on the pillars. Now back now, go, go down to First Kings chapter 8, verse 1. After building those two houses, it says here, we're back speaking about the temple now, Then Solomon assembled all the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the Ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. And then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. Verse 9. There was nothing in the Ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Let me read verse ten again. When the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we, we just trust that these are your words, and again, that as we, as we take some time to read them and to study them, to let them study us, to reflect upon them, that, that the meaning that you intend for us would be clear and that, and that we would see how relevant it is for our lives today as well. Let us be shaped as your people by what you say here in your word, and we ask that in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. With the rest of our time, here's all I want to do. I want to I talk to us about Three houses. There, there are three houses that are, well, two really that are mentioned in our passage, but there's one more. There's one more that is foreshadowed or at least anticipated by the story that we've been reading so far. Take a moment, if you would, turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and let me show you something there. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, Robert Greene was, was showing us this a couple of weeks ago, but that, that's where God steps into history here, and he makes a really big promise we got a big promise in Genesis chapter 12 that God makes to Abraham, and now we're about to see again this promise that God comes and makes to David. Now David had some rest from his enemies, and he had some time on his hands, and he began, I think, to feel a little bit sorry for the Lord. He looked at his nice house, and he said, no, wait a minute, we got to do something about God's standard of living here. He's in a tent. We need to give him a nice house. And Nathan, the prophet, thought that was a good idea and said, why don't you just go and do everything that's in your heart. But in chapter 7 verse 4. That same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And said wait go and, tell, go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. And by the time you get down to, to verse 10. The Lord is beginning to make some promises to David. And he says there, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From that time, I appointed judges over my people Israel. And he says, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, and here's the promise, the Lord declares to you that I will make you a house. The Lord will make you a house, David. And he begins to speak to David and says, listen, the house that you had in your heart to build for me, Actually, your son Solomon will build that. And furthermore, I'm going to build you a house, David. And what happens now is if you read this as a narrative, as a story, what's going on is already the reader, or rather the author here, being used by God, is setting us up to look for two houses. Let's see this house that Solomon is about to build, and then let's see this house that the Lord promises to build for his people. And so we're looking for two houses, and so by the time we come to to 1 Kings chapter 6, you'll remember we read now about a house that Solomon is going to build for the Lord. Let's look at at chapter 6, verse 1 again. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, he begins to build this house for the Lord. And so we see this first house. This is the first house, the, the house that Solomon builds for the Lord. In a minute, we'll see the second house, which is the palace that Solomon builds for himself. And finally, we're going to take a look at this house that is promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the house that the Lord will build for his people, the house that he's building even today. But you see here in 1 Kings chapter 6 that the word of the Lord comes to Solomon in verse 11. And he he says, concerning this house, I want you to know, if you walk in my ways, I'm going to be with you. My presence will be with you. And Solomon goes ahead and completes his house. Now skip down again to verse 37. There's a a twist in the story here. And if you catch it, you see what the reader or what the writer actually is trying to do to us. He's setting up a, a scene here that will lead us to Solomon's demise. And if you notice in verse 37, he says here in 1 Kings chapter 6, In the fourth year the foundation of the house of the Lord, this first house, was laid in the month of Ziv. In the 11th year, in the month of Bull, which is the 8th month, the house was finished. Solomon was 7 years in building this house. Now, without skipping a beat, watch this, chapter 7, verse 1. Solomon was building his own house 13 years. And he finished his entire house. And as for the dimensions of what he was building here in the palace complex, notice what it says here about the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. And it was built on four rows of cedar pillars. Now, if you go back to chapter 6, verse 2, look at the dimensions of God's temple, the house that that Solomon builds for the Lord. The house that he built there in verse 2 was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. So these two houses have the same height. But if you'll notice This one that Solomon builds for himself, this palace, this second house, is about four times the square footage of the temple he builds for the Lord. Now, I'm I'm not going to make a big deal out of this because I I don't think you can quite say, oh, this was wrong. But I, I I think here's what the author is doing. There's a shift in Solomon's priorities here. He's going to devote 20 years of his reign as king to building these two houses. It's commendable that the first seven are devoted to building the house of the Lord. But what you'll notice is that a great deal more time, focus, energy, and resource actually goes into building his own palace. And what we see here are the beginnings of this slippery slope and the spiritual decline that will ultimately lead Solomon to 1 Kings chapter 11. And, and, and on your own time when you read that, what you'll find is that Solomon takes a, a deadly turn. He begins to actually not only marry 700 women and, and I forget if it was 700 wives and 300 concubines or what, which one was what, which, but that's 1,000 women right there. And, and, and God clearly said you shouldn't amass that many wives and... And as if you couldn't have figured that out on your own, right? So Solomon, Solomon just takes a, a, a sharp departure from the Lord's will and eventually it leads all Israel into decline. And, and Rayshawn Graves will be back here next week to talk a little bit about how the kingdom divides after this as, as God begins to judge Solomon and Israel for that sin, right? But what you, what you really notice here is that there's a great deal more time, energy, and focus placed into Solomon building his own palace. And, and I thought about that for us. And I, and I guess the question that the Lord put on my heart was, where, where are we today in regard to this? You know, isn't it easy? It's so easy to, to start in a particular way and to find yourself really devoted to God's purposes, to, you know, to find yourself amongst people. And, and then at some point, you know, for Solomon seven years, I don't know how long you've been at this, this walking with God, this Christian thing, 60 years, 40 years, 30 years, 2 years, 7 years. At some point, Solomon just, he derails. He goes off course. And all of his time, focus, and energy is devoted to building his own palace. And some of you say, well, this, this doesn't apply to me because I don't even have a house. I barely have an apartment. I'm just kind of hanging out in some friend's place. And No, look, this is, a, this is about things that fall into that category. When you look at your priorities, when you look at... How you're devoting your time and energy. Would you, would you say that you're one who's devoting more to your own, uh, I don't know, your own retirement? or your, Think of what you're saving up for all the time. What, what captures your mind and your heart, your focus and your attention? What always seems most urgent to you? What's that thing that causes you to say, I, I would like to maybe do this, and I know that this is something God would want me to do, but I can't because... I have to devote myself to, and then fill in the blank. Now, what I'm not saying, because I know how some of you are, you like to beat yourself up and you've got like, you have a million different ways to make yourself feel guilty even when you shouldn't, right? I understand that lots of us are like that. So I don't want you to feel burdened with guilt if that's not coming from the Lord at this moment. But what I do want to do is to help us take a step toward maybe sensing where the Lord wants to bring some correction to our lives. You know, is, is, is our pattern, the pattern of our life, one, going in the direction of, uh, of building things that are very important to the Lord, or are we channeling most of our time, energy, and resources to building what could rightly be called our own palace, our own comforts? All right, it wasn't wrong for Solomon to build a house for himself, and it's not wrong for you to do that today. What, I, what I'm saying is that there's a, there's a heart here. There's a heart here, and you notice that. So Solomon, we we see the house that he builds for the Lord, and it's it's magnificent. We also see the house that he builds for himself. But there's a third house here. Uh, Behind the scenes, God is at work. God is at work through Solomon. Behind the scenes, you'll notice there's a third house that the Lord himself is building. And I want to spend a good deal of time for us this morning looking at what God was doing, even while Solomon is building his own palace. Not too far away the Lord himself was building this house that we were told to look for in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God says, I will build you a house, David. And you're left to wonder, well, we see the house that Solomon is building. Where's this house that the Lord is building? Where will it be built? Where is its cornerstone going to be laid? Where, where is all of this? Now, now let's take a trek, trek through the Bible. It's gonna be all over the place. We're gonna go to 2 Chronicles. We're gonna come back to Kings. We'll be in Genesis but just follow me, all right? Everywhere I tell you to go, just go and, and trust me, and we'll be we'll be out of the woods in no time. So let's start in Second Chronicles chapter three. Now, Second Chronicles is right after First Chronicles. See, I thought that was funny too. Some of you, some of you didn't get it, or or you did, and you just you just realize it's not really funny. So Second Chronicles, if you just go to the right a little bit from 1 Kings, you'll find it. Second Chronicles chapter three. It says here in chapter 3, verse 1, that Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So now we get a little more information about where this house is being built. Solomon begins to build this house of the Lord in Jerusalem, even more specifically on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So now there's a lot of information here, and if, if you weren't just listening to a sermon that told you to arbitrarily go to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, but you had actually read through 1 Chronicles on your way here, then you would have been familiar with that whole thing of Ornan, the Jebusite, and his threshing floor, because you would have read, let's go down now, or let's go back one book to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, that's right before 2 Chronicles. You were waiting for that, weren't you? First Chronicles chapter 21, David commits another sin here that isn't as popular as his sin with Bathsheba, but he, he commits another sin here and really the consequences of it are no less great. In fact, 70,000 of his fellow Israelites will die because of this particular sin of taking a census of the people and what it communicated to God about David's lack of trust in him, but rather his trust in their numbers, okay? And so... Let's, let's look at what God says here. Verse 7, God was very displeased with what David did. And he struck Israel. And David said to God, I, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, or prophet, saying, Go to David and say, Thus says the Lord, three things I offer you. I want you to choose one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said, thus says the Lord, choose what you will. Now, how how would you like this for some options? Choose which one you will, David. Verse 12, either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord. Pestilence on the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, decide." Decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I'm in, I'm in great distress. I mean, I'm sure he was waiting for a fourth option here, but this is it. I'm in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercy is very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. And David chooses those three days of pestilence from the hand of the Lord as the sword of the angel of the Lord goes about. Verse 14, So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw. And he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, It's enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted his eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, and in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who gave the command to number the people? It is I who have sinned and done great evil. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, O Lord my God, be against me and against my father's house. But don't don't let the plague be on your people. The Lord demonstrates mercy here. David ends up purchasing this plot of land. I want you to look at chapter 21. Or rather, chapter 22, verse 1. After the Lord judges sin here, And brings about three days over the course of which he's judging David's sin. The hand of God is over Israel heavily heavily for three days while he judges sin. And and it's miserable and and, and we're waiting for good news. and, And here it is. On the third day, David looks up. Chapter 22, verse 1. David said, here shall be the house of the Lord God. And here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Right here, where the Lord graciously dealt with us, but at the same time judged sin. Right here, on this spot. This is where we will begin to build the house of the Lord. Three days of judging sin in this way, so it was counted by men. Right here is where we'll lay the cornerstone. Right here. And so what you'll find as you read 1 Chronicles 28, is that David, far from this just being Solomon's temple, David is the one who develops all the plans. He gives it to Solomon. And, and one of the things I'm sure he said was make sure you build this thing right here on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. It's gotta be right here where God judged sin because we're not just looking at the house that Solomon built for the Lord. We're promised that the Lord is going to build a house for his people that will not only last a few hundred years but forever. And everything that we're reading about with this temple that Solomon is building is simply foreshadowing for us and pointing us to the house that the Lord is going to build, and in fact, the house that he's still building today. And wouldn't you know it, just like Solomon built his own palace just a, just a stone's throw away from this temple he built for the Lord, behind the scenes, the Lord himself was building a house not very far away from this temple that Solomon built. See, the temple that Solomon built, as you saw, was on Mount Moriah, right there in the city of Jerusalem, enclosed by the gates and the walls of Jerusalem. and look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. The Lord, the Lord is going to build a house. And, and would you believe it? He's actually going to begin to build this house in the very same place where He judges sin. This is the spiritual house that the Lord is building today, which lasts forever. Just outside of Jerusalem, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, tells us this. And I I am coming around to something that's actually relevant for you today, so stick with me. In Hebrews 13, verse 12, we're told that Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Right outside the temple and outside the city gate, Jesus would suffer for sins, Not for sins that he had committed this time. David was suffering because of his own sins. Other people were suffering because of David's sin. And now here is the the quintessential example of an innocent person suffering for someone else's sin. Jesus is going to go outside of the city gate and suffer for our sins. It wouldn't be 70,000 people this time, but only one. One who would suffer. And over the course of three days, as we would count them, God is dealing with sin in a way that will be permanently satisfying to him. And right there where he punishes sin in the cross of Christ, he's going to raise Jesus up in three days. But what we're all going to see is he's going to start to build. Jesus will be the very cornerstone, the first piece of this new and spiritual house. And there were clues of this all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus, or Solomon rather, builds this temple on Mount Moriah. Now go to Genesis chapter 22 and let me show you something. Because if you remember, we did this some time ago here on Sunday mornings, but it's been a while, so we need a refresher. 2 Chronicles chapter 3 is not the first time we see Moriah, is it? In Genesis chapter 22, after these things, verse 1, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham responded, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to go to the land of... Moriah. Now, Moriah was a large region, which included Mount Moriah. And God says to Abraham, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, I can't prove this. I'm not a geographical expert. I haven't been to the Holy Land. I can't prove this to you. But I, I know God well enough to know that this is not beyond his reach. The, the very spot where almost, or at least 4,000 years ago, God looks at Abraham and says, I want you to, Father Abraham, I want you to take your son. I want you to take him to a place in the region of Moriah. I want you to sacrifice him. And as Abraham gets ready to do that, God says, Stay your hand. It's enough. Just like he said to the angel on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Look, it's it's enough. Stay your hand. I'm just foreshadowing something. It would not surprise me at all. We know that where Christ was crucified was in the region of Moriah because it happened right outside of the city gate on Mount Moriah. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Jesus was ultimately sacrificed on the very same spot that Abraham bound Isaac. where you have a father walking hand in hand with his son. And and more than that, look at Genesis chapter 22 again. Verse 4, on the third day, (laughs) you just can't get away from this stuff, right? Here's the third day again. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. Isn't that interesting? If you've got a donkey, why don't you let the donkey carry the wood? That's what it's there for. It's a beast of burden. Or why don't you carry it as the father? He puts the wood on his son because this is a dress rehearsal. And, and the son, the father is walking with the son. He's about to offer the son up in sacrifice and the wood is being carried by the son on his back. And he's going to the place of his own sacrifice. And it wouldn't shock me a bit if Jesus was crucified on that very spot. Now, now, why do I tell you all that? I tell you all of that not to impress you with Bible facts, but to say to you that this house God has been building, this spiritual house we're talking about that he promises in Second Samuel 7, He's given a great deal of time and thought to it. Solomon took 13 years to plan and carry out the building of his own palace. We're talking about 4,000 years ago that God was planning this house and it certainly goes back beyond that. But in terms of how and when he revealed it to us through the story of Abraham and Isaac, over 4,000 years and God says, here is where the house of the Lord will be built. And this house is not like houses where you, you just put them together and you get stones and you, you pile them up. It, it's a different, it, it's made up of a different kind of stone. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. We, we began to read this in our read and response this morning. But let me show you something about this house. Now that's right before 2 Peter over in the New Testament. Ah, it's wearing out its welcome, isn't it? 1 Peter. Speaking to people who, in chapter 1, verse 22, have had their souls purified by obedience to the truth, who have already been born again, verse 23, through the imperishable seed of the word of God. In chapter 2, 1 Peter, chapter 2, he says, Now put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk, or you could say the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now watch this, verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone. Psalm 118 will tell us, and the New Testament will quote quite often, that Christ is the stone the builders rejected, but who has come the cornerstone of this house, this living stone. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Where is the house that the Lord is building? Where is its cornerstone? Where did He lay it? The cornerstone of this building is Jesus. Ephesians 2 will tell us that. That we rest as a spiritual house made up of living stones, like all of the faces I see here this morning, those who have come to Christ. Living stones. God is gathering us from all parts of the world. Regardless of age, race, uh, social status, God is gathering living stones. And, and we're, we're transformed into these stones into which God is, is putting us as a house when we come to Christ. Look at verse 4 again. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, or, or rather rejected by men, but, but in God's sight chosen and precious, then you yourselves like living stones are being included in this house. The house that the Lord is building today was all this time being built right next to the palace that that Solomon was building for himself. Wouldn't you know that today God is still doing this? He's still building this house of living stones. Look, while you and I are building our own palaces, right next to the lives that we've carved out for ourselves and that we've dreamed up for ourselves, The Lord is building a house. He means to include you in it. Like a living stone, He means to include you as a part of this house. And it cost Him a whole lot to include me and to include you in this house. It cost Him the the life of His own Son, Jesus Christ. Who, who in that region of Moriah was sacrificed for the sins that you and I committed. And now God is calling out to us. I told you all of this to say for thousands upon thousands upon thousands. In fact, it's like the sheep that they offered at the temple that day. You can't count it. You, there's no way you can, you can attach a beginning point to when God began to plan your trip to Jesus. Verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 2, As you come to him a living stone. For, for as long as we can conceive of God having a heart for lost people, people who would become lost and in desperate need of Him, God has been planning my trip to the cross. And He's been planning your trip to the cross. And, and He says to those of us who have never come to Christ this way and to those of us who have, as you come to Him, I'm using your coming to him as my way of building this house that will last forever. You're meant to be a part of it. One piece in this house. Have you come to Christ? There's an old song that says there's room at the cross for you. Oh, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. Have you come to Christ yet? Are you still building your own palace with all of your time, all of your energy, all of your resources? Are you still living a relatively autonomous life, convincing yourself that you can just do whatever it is you've planned to do without really consulting God and checking what His purpose for your life is? Do you realize that all the while, while you're doing that, right next to that life you're planning for yourself, God is building a life. God is building a house. And the center of that is not you, it's Jesus. And you are meant to be fit into his house. Are you still trying to get Jesus to follow your plan? Or do you realize that God's got something different for you? Something much better? There's something greater now. Solomon built his temple and you'll remember Jesus said, now one greater than the temple is here. Jesus is the true temple of God. He is the cornerstone of the house that God is building today, a house which can include your life. If you will hear this message about Jesus and feel the Holy Spirit drawing you to him, as you come to him, verse 2, or rather verse 4 of chapter 2, first Peter, as you come to him, a living stone, you too are being built up like living stones. Let's pray. Don't imagine, Lord, that we think of ourselves as stones very often. But, but here we are, by your design, pieces of your plan, pieces of your house. A house that will last forever because it's built on your, your eternal word. And it's built on the blood of your son. And for, for as long as your heart has been extended toward us in mercy, you've been planning our trip to the cross and, and many of us have become skilled at resisting, at, at resisting whatever we sense in our hearts at moments like this or other moments, just finding ways to not take that trip to the cross, finding reasons, perhaps excuses, to talk about why we can't do that at this time. Maybe our favorite excuse is the fact that we're too bad, we're too messed up, we don't deserve mercy like this. But but this trip to the cross is not for those who deserve it. And we thank we thank we thank you that you show us that over and over in scripture. And I, so this morning, what I'm asking, Lord, is that you, maybe there's one in here, maybe two or five or ten. And this morning will be different for them. Let this be the morning where we move from building our own palace with all the things that you've given us to to allowing you to set us into this house that you're building for Jesus. He's building for himself when he says, I will build my church. I just pray that you would solidify that in our hearts. And we ask that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.